Well, thank you for joining us in the deep end, conversations in the global talent pool. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solution Officer and uh, regular talent antagonist. Uh, with me today is Liz Pollitt. Uh, she is a John Hopkins Fellow, uh, a fantastic friend of mine for many, many years, global guru, uh, number 11 on a list of 30, also author of uh, The Cultural Fit Factor, How to uh, Attract, Retain, and Repel the Best Talent. Uh, Liz, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me and great to see you again. So today we thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking specifically about talent attraction, retention, uh, even repelling them based on culture fit and discuss, discuss it not only broadly, but then obviously implications around the contingent workforce, which is becoming a broader part of a workforce composition for companies. Uh, so Liz, what is culture and, and, and how do you map it to some type of assessment? Well, you know, interestingly enough, you know, we've been talking, I've been talking about culture for a very, very long time. And what we see right now trending is more organizations focusing on cultural fit uh, than we have, let's say, in the last, I don't know, even five years. Uh, and how do organizations, you know, kind of look inside and say, what is our culture? Because honestly, if you ask 20 people in an organization what their culture is, you'll probably get 20 definitions of what their culture right. is. So unless we're, you know, using some kind of assessment tool or, or validated instrument to define that, uh, you have a lot of different uh, definitions. And then here comes the candidate. And how do you have the conversation about the candidate, whether it's contingent, full-time, work to hire, you know, temp to hire, uh, how do you determine fit, right? But th there are some absolute metrics and measurements that you can use uh, to look and see if you're getting the right fit. Well, that's good to know. And I know we always think about that as an attractor, but it also can repel and, and right, rightfully so, potentially a, a not good fit. What are some of the things before we get into maybe some of those metrics and the ways to do some of those assessments? Sure. What are some of the things that might be downfalls or biases? You know, right now, obviously, obviously people are looking very heavily at, at AI and how things have gone over historical views of mapping candidates and, and unintended biases that make their ways into some of those log uh, algorithms. And so when we think a little bit about building out cultural fit, do we have any blind spots that we need to be aware of? Well, that's six questions in one. I'm gonna have to take that, <laughs> just, I'm gonna have to break that down a bit. Um, okay, so you and I met, I don't know, 15 years ago, and it was actually at a SHRM conference where I was given a presentation. And back in the day, there wasn't AI. Right. Right? But we were still talking about the candidate experience. And the candidate experience has evolved into this no touch. I won't even say high touch. I'll say no touch. Uh, because with the evolution of our applicant tracking systems, Everything's an algorithm, whether it's LinkedIn, Indeed, any, any of the search engines. And we're boxing out individuals based on a resume, even based on the composite, right? The look. If, you, if your resume is a graph in the beginning, you probably won't even get you know, through the front door, if you will. So to your question, yeah, I think AI candidate experience-wise has, I see it as a detriment. I mean, I know we're, let's look at it two ways. You've got efficiency, mm -hmm. right? Which equals ROI and bottom line. Right. And you've got emotional, behavioral, 
for the individuals and the recruiters and the hiring managers. Right. And the twain are not meeting right, right now, right? Because no. they can't. No, I, I agree. I agree. And I think that that's, that's a good pivot, right, is to think about uh, the candidate journey, because that has been all the rage. But then again, you mentioned, too, 15 years ago, we were talking about that. It was a little bit different, though, because we were a higher touch model then. The technology had not become such a firewall. Um, 2019, even early 2020, we were hearing a lot about candidate fatigue. And that candidate fatigue was everything from, as you mentioned, uh, years of trying to differentiate yourself on a resume. Now that doesn't parse well through the system. Um, And then getting back to this topic, assessments. We seem to be assessing people over and over to the extent that on the very first try, we're looking to marry them rather than that courtship through the process. Right. Um, I liken that to being out on the beach reaching down and grabbing a a fistful of sand and squeezing so tight that I lose so many great pieces of of talent through that squeeze, right? But we want the assessments to do that well. How can we potentially use culture to be maybe that first of the uh, top of the funnel cleanse that says, hey, there's definitely a fit that's not good for you here, right? Almost leaning into it's it's, it's not you, it's us. (laughs) And then letting the rest through and, and, and then looking at technical aptitude in others. It's not you, it's us is the real dating uh, analogy here, isn't it? Wow. Um, I would say, to your point, assessments are, if it's a valid assessment, okay, let's just start with that. If it's uh, your, you know, HR person decided to come up with 10 questions and populate ADP as knockouts, I mean, that's not a cultural fit questionnaire or valid assessment. But if you're using a a good uh, methodology and some science behind it, um, then we're seeing that it's very difficult to measure cultural fit in automation, right? Uh, Well, and cultural fit, honestly, has evolved just in the last six months. So let's dial back a year and listen to the CEOs who were saying things like, we're never gonna go remote. I don't wanna have a remote workforce. (laughs) We're gonna lose productivity. I mean, here's that, right? Here's that metric, that ROI. And then, you know, none of us, I don't believe uh, have been through a pandemic and here we are. And the next thing you know, it's like scatter come March 15th, people are working from home. And it took us a little while, right, to even get on the VPN. But once we were on that, uh, you know, we start to see that this working remote is actually can be very productive. So candidate experience, now we're asking these crazy questions about, you know, individual contributor and, you know, time management. We've always asked about time management, but not in the same context uh, that we're having the conversation now, right? So does that answer your question directly? Yeah, I think it, it keys in on on how do you backtrack? So time management in this context now in COVID is really thinking about self-discipline, getting up in the morning and driving yourself to actually do work in an unmonitored uh, situation, right? And And productivity, absolutely. We don't have the water cooler effect. But I think we're also starting to see that some organizations, as they're calling people back, are trying to straddle now a a cultural shift. And maybe you can lend some some, uh, uh, insight to that, because there are organizations that worked incredibly well collaboratively inside of four walls, have had to move outside those four walls to some tools like we're using right now. Um, But how do you gain and still foster that 
that that strong collaborative relationship. Um, when you have technology as a barrier, where you have distance as a barrier, and maybe even uh, now time zones as an even bigger barrier, since we now can do a borderless talent attraction model. <laughs> right. Um, so so to that to that extent, where you had organizations whose culture was on-site teaming, just constant collaboration. Right. How does that how does that shift now? It's, it's had a major shift, right? Um, we can say culturally, you know, we would talk to organizations and say, are you about results or are you about time in? And the time in is the walking around at 5, 5.30 to see who's still in their cube, and <laughs> right? Who's, whose suit jacket is on the back of the chair, that kind of thing. Uh, and our workplace has evolved generationally where that's not even a thing anymore, right? You, I wanna, I'm going to walk by and see if, you know, you're playing WoW for a mental break, right? World of Warcraft, something like that. But the, the remote factor is really playing in to the candidate selection process. Like you said, the water cooler effect or teaming. So again, is it about results or is it about time in? And we're seeing many individuals that are working in a very different pace and time that they had before. You know, right now I can say I'm doing probably 15 to 20 assessments every couple of weeks for clients that are trying to understand productivity, how to manage the remote workforce, cultural evolution, mm -hmm. but specifically managers, how to manage mm -hmm. that, right? Because it's, it's much, much different. And what we're seeing are, let's say an individual who has kids, a two-parent household uh, has kids, and these kids are going to school online. Mm -hmm. Well, now what we're seeing is, I'm going to take the first shift, so I'm going to work from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m., and then, right, so I can be right. available to you 5 a.m. to 11 a.m., then, hey, hang on, man, I'm not going to be back until 4 p.m., because that's my kid's shift. So we see, right. you know, those kind of evolutionary uh, things, as well as one of the things you mentioned, you know, no more telecommuting for many individuals. So what we're trying to do is look at, okay, so if you're not telecommuting, what are you doing for those two hours that you used to do a day? And how do you get more efficiency, maybe, or proficient in those two hours? And right. maybe it doesn't speak directly to candidate uh, experience, but it does speak to selection. Because I think, at least from where I'm coming from culturally, we've come human level closer. I would say down, you know, if we were flying at 30,000 feet in an interview, we're at least at 15, maybe 5,000. Okay. Uh, because we're asking, we have to ask those questions. We have to ask the human questions. You know, are you on a kid shift? Right. You right. know, are you, how are yeah. you doing with not being by a water cooler? You know, these yeah, are we're, we're, human yeah. elements. We are we are we are we are the epitome right now of sort of the not so much the blending of work life balance, but it's just the intertwining in totality of of where we're spending our time at that moment. And and you keyed in on something really really great as we transition to the metrics. But I want to make sure we don't miss the fact that I think what you were talking about in terms of helping managers cope with this is a trust factor, trusting totally. that people that are outside their door or upstairs or you know, across the campus that they can look at are actually doing their work. And so 
So really that, that measurement, right, comes into play. So, so how do we know that our cultural assessment is working? What, what are some of the key metrics that we want to look at? Well, you know, they're behavioral, right? So let's just take the teaming because you, you've said that a couple of times. So let's say, you know, um, I used to be in cor- when I was in corporate America, I worked for a biotech company. And what what my job was, was I was to hire the um, the smartest PhDs it, really in the world. Um, and what they were supposed to do was look in a microscope at bugs all day. That was that's that, that's pretty much what they did. And we went all of a sudden from this individual contributor model to a team model. Mm. Well, when you make that kind of a shift, these people who all their careers have been individual contributors, they completely do not fit anymore. So that's what we're looking at at these cultural fit indicators because there's so many indicators to an organization's culture, right? Leadership, trust, ethics, uh, how the work gets done, productivity, time in. Right. And so what what we've done is taken a look at all of these indicators, cultural indicators, make sure they're valid in the, like I said, 20 people have 20 different definitions of culture. Right. And then write the metric to that end. For example, just take like Zappos, right? If you're an individual contributor, you're probably not going to fit in the Zappos culture. Sure. You're going to fit in the teaming. But in the biotech world, if you're a teamer, you're not going to fit, but you fit in the individual contributor world, sure, right? Sure. And it sound, and it, so it sounds like, too, um, retention is going to be one of our key indicators of how well we're doing, right, in terms of a mapping of how you answered this and sort of the, the, the thought that assessments should, and, and maybe you agree or disagree with this, we've talked a little bit about this, that, that assessments are basically decision support, not necessarily a decision point, right? There's huge right. differentiation there. And so we need some latitude that says within this range, we think, but then we could probably dial it in a little bit better if we look at how we're retaining at the, the nine month, 36 month, 60 month and on. Is that, is that reasonable? It's totally reasonable. Um, and just assessments overall, you know, again, measuring culture for the last 20 years, it's very interesting to me. I actually applied for a job at Gallup, you know, that little assessment company over there in uh, <laughs> Iowa, Utah, and I didn't get selected. And the interesting thing was before you can even fill out an application, you take an assessment. And they are so exacting that you get you get bounced right out if you don't fit. So sure. from an assessment, right, point of view, right. there you can swing the pendulum. Super, super important metrics, numbers, do you fit, do you not right. fit? And then the gut factor, right? Sure. We've always got those people who are like, oh, yeah, this, she's going to be great. <laughs> right. or, I probably look a lot like you. I probably speak a lot like you. I have a background like you. But today, society, we, we, we can't even have that. kind of a candidate selection process anymore. I no, mean, that's very true. And, and I mean, obviously that impacts diversity. It impact, impacts so much of what's not only headlines today, but what we've been dealing with as talent practitioners sure. for years. Um, so when I think about maybe how we pivot to um, how this maybe Im- uh, has implications to the contingent workforce, right? Our extended mm-hmm. workforce, which let's face it, companies using temps, contingents, whatever we want to call it. Um, this is how 
products and services get to the marketplace. Uh, ebbs and flows of whether it's seasonal hiring, emerging skills, whatever it might be. And so when I think about one of the metrics that's really important that maybe leads us to that discussion um, is, 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 you know, what's a good hire? And we, we oftentimes point to time to productivity, right? It's, it's right. not necessarily the recruiting process that got us there. It's not necessarily the hiring manager leading them there. It's that, it's that weird pivot, that J curve of when they come in and then suddenly are productive. And, and so I'm curious about, yeah. you know, do we see that a cultural fit potentially gives us a more shallow dive to that J curve or is it technical fit or is it both? What, what, what would you say? You know, we, you and I have bantered about this for years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm still sticking to my guns here. Okay. Um, in all actuality, you know, cultural fit is, culture is nebulous, right? We've said it for years and years and years. How do you measure culture? Culture is a, it's like a snowball, it'll melt, it'll freeze. When we look at candidates and measuring success of hiring for cultural fit, it's not a quickie. We cannot measure that in the first 30 days, right? So what you want to look at as far as cultural fit is you're going to have to sit back a little bit and wait, you know, 30, 60, 90 assessment. If you're hiring for cultural fit, you would see that your retention goes up, right? Uh, six month, maybe performance appraisal, annual performance appraisal, our assumption for cultural right. fit would be, you know, they're going to be a 4.5 versus a 3.5 because- right. And the other factor that really plays into it, which is, again, where I come from, is that human element, is if you hire for cultural fit, then the person that you're bringing in, the people who they work with are going to attract to. Yeah. And they're going to want to support that individual because right. they do fit. And whether that's they fit because they have this degree or that degree, or they fit right. because they play video games doesn't matter. There's a commonality. There has to be some kind of commonality between them to be a cultural fit. And the next thing you know, they're supporting them. So I do see yeah. a higher level of retention with uh, hiring for cultural fit. It's just yeah. not an easy thing to do because you really sure. got to understand the culture. I mean, you just yeah, and I and you keyed right into right into the pivot. So it's a hire for versus train for. Right. What right. can I how do I shoot the gap? There's certain things I just can't train people on, and it's how well they're going to fit into a culture versus right. I can I can definitely train up on some technical gaps. So all of this discussion has been Always. phenomenal, and I appreciate that. So then the question, the big question becomes, well, why would cultural fit and why would even assessments around culture be important or maybe not even used when it comes to our extended workforce? Um, mm -hmm. and, and obviously, uh, you know, as we're looking to just maybe fill seasonality or quite honestly, just, just, I have a blip that I need to fill. Maybe we're not so worried about that. That said, there are organizations who depend on their extended workforce. Yes. So we're talking about assignments that are nine months, 18 months, well, even three years in some of these longer R and D and, and CapEx cycles. Oh, sure. So, so what, what, sure. what's the credibility, let's say of assessing our contingent labor? Is there a time appropriate to do that? Um, and what's, and I'm sorry, I'm hitting you with, again, several questions. Six questions at once, go ahead. <laughs> but, but then there's the rub. If you treat your contingent workforce differently, potentially a subculture, mm -hmm. than you are for your 
full-time direct employees, and hence, is the assessment even valid? Okay, let's break that down. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, contingent, let's say contingent. Uh, again, it goes back to one of the things I said earlier, which is what is the organization's measurement for success? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it return on investment? Is it the money? You know, is it customer service and their SAT scores? You don't know, right? So that right there is a dichotomy in what you're measuring. Yep. Uh, take the um, take the people at uh, Costco who are handing you a piece of pizza on the toothpick, right? I'm going pre-COVID here because we don't see many of them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a that's a absolutely seasonal contingent. But that's churn and burn. Right. That's sometimes, you know, they need people so badly they've got to go out in the parking lot and recruit realistically. Uh, and then to your fact or question about like, then you've got the cap or the the R&D person who you want there to be at least on a three year assignment. Um, we call that the gig economy these days. Uh, it's a different kind of, of match, you know, and it's a different mind. Like I'm a gig, I'm a gig worker, right? Yep. Um, that's, that's my thing. I can go interim, I can go on a one or two year assignment, I can be three weeks, you never know if it's a project. And that takes a certain kind and type of individual to be productive, to be focused, that can handle multiple tasks at any given time. Versus someone who wants to, you know, come to work each day right? and do. So when you start talking about contingent, you know, you are looking at a gamut. And again, for me, everything's a pendulum swing. So one side of it could be go out in the parking lot and recruit. And the other side of it is I need a PhD that's going to focus on bugs for three years. Sure, sure. And I think I think it, it it's maybe good, a good summary then that that especially in the try before you buy, right? What, 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 what a better way to assess cultural fit than the person that's been doing the work. And, and as you said, are they good at teaming or are they good as an individual contributor? Do they fit our company? And hence, should I just convert them directly? Yeah, that's a tough one. I do like try before you buy. I mean, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but there are individuals who cannot fill that role, right? Because right. we know we know that there's uh, candidates and employees that have to have that job, that have to have that guaranteed paycheck, that that have to meet those bills. Yep. We all have to meet something. Right. You know how we do it is different. So the try before you buy, when you start talking about cultural fit, it, it's even a different individual that you're courting, right? Sure. sure. So, so one last question then, and this has been great. I mean, thank you so much for, for joining. One quick question. Good time. We take a look at this is, is so a lot of the things that people think around culture have largely been disrupted, right? Is it a, is it a button down and tie culture? Is it shorts and flip flops? Whatever it may be in the new work from anywhere approach, any single piece of advice or two that you would say as you start to settle in, right? Because it might not be full remote, it might not be all on-prem, but somewhere in between. How can companies think about balancing that in both an individualistic approach um, as well as a, as, as a corporate sort of construct? 
Let me just try and understand, define one thing. As you settle in, am I the candidate or am I the hiring manager as my candidate settles in? Let me just, because I want to get this. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't even say the candidate at this point. I'm thinking, okay. you know, you're hired. And, and then how are we personifying that to candidates? And that's the whole upfront piece. That is the whole understanding and setting the expectation. You're sitting there in a, in a business shirt right now. You could be in board shorts and flip-flops. I don't know. But you're being <laughs> this just is the as... deep end of the pool here. <laughs> <laughs> but you're being just as productive as, you know, and, and here I am. I'm sitting here, you know, casual flannel because it's California and it's below 60 and that's what we do. Um, it's cold. So it really is, you know, that individual. But right now, even if we do come back into the office, there's going to be a remote component. Uh, no matter what, because people are going to demand it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. It's 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 going to be whether or not the return to physical re, uh, work is going to be a bit of a, a transformation or a revolt once we arrive. But yeah. Liz, thank you so much. This was fantastic. Uh, I'd love to have you back again. And uh, for those of you, again, Liz Pellet, check out her book, The Cultural Fit Factor, uh, Global Guru number 11 for this year. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Love to work with Workforce Logic and good to see you again. Thanks, Liz.